and welcome to Saved by Old Times, a musical discussion podcast. Uh, this is an unauthorized and very unofficial look into the discography of the band Deer Hunter. And today, on our very first episode, we will be chatting about the band's murky and mysterious debut album. My name is Trent, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. David Vance. Dave, how you doing, sir? Chatting, uh, I would I would probably say it's more like wading into a swamp that I've never kind of <laughs> like... I don't really know how to describe this. I guess you're just like holding my hand as I as I slowly wade into the 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 depths of alt rock. That is correct. Yes, I would say uh, briefly that uh, Dave and I are are very longtime best friends, and uh, for the entertainment of our uh, listeners, we will be putting that friendship to the test uh, during this <laughs> process for a couple reasons. Uh, one, uh, Dave has already outlined. I've signed you up for an odyssey of epic proportions here. Yeah, uh, it's it's um, it's interesting. Uh, def- definitely. Uh, I don't know exactly like what genre we're going into. It's it seems to be like independent rock, alt rock, but uh, I'm excited. Definitely excited. Yes. Coming into this from a uh, background of jazz music has has definitely there's definitely things that cross over and definitely things that do not. <laughs> and I am excited to to hear about those and explore those. So yes, having not heard this band at all uh, and not being particularly familiar with the genre, you decided to sign up and do a long form podcast with me. Uh, and I'm so sorry. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, and reason two uh, that we are putting our friendship to the test is that I am not and have never been a morning person. And I would like Ooh. to state for the record that Dave has dragged me out of bed uh, this Ooh. morning to start this podcast. Uh, I just wanted to say off the top, Dave, uh, when in our 23 years of friendship have you known me to be a morning person? Well, I didn't think 10 o'clock was a morning person, <laughs> to be honest. You got to get up before that. You got to do all your prep. It's not like you just roll out of bed and run the show here. Uh, 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 yeah. Are you sure? sure. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, here we are trapped together in this format uh, where we will be breaking down every single Deer Hunter album, or we will simply break down ourselves, uh, whichever one comes first. Uh, but we hope to be saved by old times. Hey. Hell yeah. So let us go forward with some introductions. Uh, Dave, do you want to do an intro first? Uh, I think I've done basically as much as I need to. I I am coming into this from the perspective of uh, jazz music. I have a little bit of experience in jazz performance as well as a music degree, a bachelor's of music performance in jazz. But as far as hands-on experience, that is that is up to my good friend here. Ooh, thank you for that smooth transition. Yeah, my name is Trent. Uh, I would <laughs> self-describe myself as a uh, Deer Hunter super fan. I am a home recording enthusiast, uh, and most importantly, the veteran uh, guitarist of many failed indie rock bands. So I assure you, you're in good hands here. Uh, if there's anyone who can kind of poke their way through a uh, wall of chaotic noise, I feel like it's me. So <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll take a run at this. How long have you been listening to Deer Hunter for? 
So here's the thing. I have been listening to them since around 2010 when the album Halcyon Digest came out. Uh Um, However, I didn't really get super deep into them until uh, about last year, which would be 2020 for the record, when a lot of us had a lot more time on our hands. And I thought, hey, here's a band that I, you know, enjoy a handful of songs, but I haven't really like listened to a lot of their albums front to back kind of thing. And I started going through and as I was going through, I just had more and more questions. I like to me, they're a fascinating band because they go through uh, so much change and so much evolution, and uh, things are messy, and the the history gets complicated. And then I just I had to know more, and I had to figure out what was informing each album and stuff. And so I just I I had too many thoughts that needed to be shared. So I'm glad you're here with me to do that. Yeah, I guess I guess we can get into it if if you wanted to go straight into it. What is Deer Hunter? Yes, so uh, Deer Hunter is a Atlanta, Georgia based band. They would primarily be known as like indie rock or alternative rock, uh, despite the fact that the uh, frontman states that he hates that term. What's to hate? What's to hate about indie rock? To be honest, well, <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, as we'll get into uh, on this album. Uh, I think what uh, Bradford doesn't like about the term indie rock is that he doesn't like the commercialization of indie rock. Uh. I think he likes he likes people making projects that they believe in from an artistic standpoint and not necessarily making to be commercially viable. And I think he thinks indie rock is like a tag that was slapped on the whole genre when like indie rock can be anything from like new wave inspired like keyboard synth pop jams and then also like really noisy uh, walls of guitars and stuff. And he's like, why are these the same genre? Why wouldn't you call, you know, call that, you know, its own thing and this its own thing. I think that's what he's going with. Yeah. Yeah. This is this is certainly independent rock music. Oh, this this is independent. We can we can confirm that. I don't know exactly how the term indie gets gets thrown around in the in the business, but uh, I assume that basically everything that's not on a major label is technically indie, right? Correct. Yes, and then that's kind of the the challenge with the genre is it grew out of the 1980s college rock scene, mm-hmm. and so basically, originally bands were unsigned, and so they were called independent rock bands. But then, you know, as shared influences and stuff get passed around there was you know kind of its own genre taking place of these unsigned indie rock bands in the 80s yeah um so then it just became a genre label and originally it was called alternative and then it just became indie yeah uh, i guess i guess if you are getting compared to every single like garage rock band and like three guys in a shed that shows up in, a, <laughs> in 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 the the midwest united states and you're getting compared to all these guys i guess you might hate it as well i don't know yeah so back to our friends uh in deer hunter so our story really starts with uh bradford cox and moses archuleta they're trying to create a noisy art rock project uh where they combine the like kind of trance-like uh, influences of ambient and electronic music with more like garage rock aesthetics and songwriting. They go through various early members, but eventually they enlist uh, two friends from the local Atlanta punk scene, Colin Mee on guitar and Josh Farver on bass to begin work on their debut album. And the album, we're just going to call it Turn It Up. Correct, Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna call the uh, the first album title "Turn It Up." It uses an expletive that we're just not gonna use. Right. 
If people want to know the full title, they can look it up. If you're listening to this, the internet still exists. So you can read the full title. And yeah, we understand why it's there. Uh, and it, it makes sense within the context of the album and what it's about. But yeah, that's just not something we're comfortable repeating. So yeah, turn it up is what we will call it for today. So we're getting into the first album. You gave me a link to this and I've taken a look at it several times. <laughs> it is fairly interesting, but uh, go yes. ahead. So they signed to um, a, if we're using the term independent, very independent label called Stick Figure Records, which is really run by a local figure in the uh, Atlanta rock radio scene. He was a radio DJ for uh, Georgia Tech at the time and was really interested in a lot of musical genres that were not getting uh, coverage on the radio that he couldn't play or were difficult to find in record stores. So he started this label called Stick Figure Records. So for this album, uh, one thing I wanted to, to share to try kind of give the listeners who maybe haven't heard it a bit of context of what it sounds like, I tried very hard to find an official review, but uh, because this album, there was only ever 300 copies released. Nice. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's not a lot of press on it. And the fact that the band uh, chooses to not acknowledge its existence most of the time also means there's not a lot uh, of press out there on it. But I did find one that I would like to share some choice quotes from that I think really helps paint a picture of what this album sounds like. Okay. So from all music, uh, Stuart Mason rated this album a 3.5 out of 5. Hey, that's that's not bad. That's, that's not bad. That's not bad at I, all. <laughs> I feel like it's a rating where it's like, okay, Deer Hunter ends up being a fairly notable band, and I don't want to trash any of their albums super hard, but 3.5 out of 5 kind of feels like I didn't really like it, but I didn't want to rate it too poorly. That's what that means yeah, to me. That, that's, that's, like the, uh, that's like the 80% on Metacritic. That's just like the... Oh, it's it's okay, but <laughs> but you got to have a ten out of ten, so it's it's bad, right? <laughs> so he describes the sound of this album as an aggressive blend of guitar scronk and rhythmic pummeling, which I think is a great choice of words. Uh, scronk, scronk is scronk. Uh, um, that's a squirrel ronk. Uh, or, <laughs> um, or what do we got here? We got a uh, we got scroll cronk. I think it's like an onomatopoeia of like if you just like oh, okay. make a terrible shape on guitar and just let your hands slip onto the strings, it'd be like scronk. Yeah. I think is what it yeah. sounds like. Scronk. Oh, okay, yeah, the comic yeah. book. It's just like yeah, okay. exactly. Yeah, cool. That's the uh, the comic book adaptation of Deer Hunter when they just like jump through the brick wall and just strum it on the guitar and it goes scronk. Exactly like that. Yes. Okay. And then in my personal favorite section, I think he gives a good like summary of the album entirely. He says, the five-piece band, which at this time it's a four-piece, but anyways, the four-piece band favors a squalling, echo-heavy sound that makes individual instruments and vocals nearly impossible to make out. The loudest sound to pierce through the murk is as likely to be a simple one-note piano part or a thwacking hi-hat cymbal as anything else. The resulting mess of sound is a take-it-or-leave-it affair that some listeners will find an impenetrable wash of noise. Cool. That's pretty harsh. That, that, <laughs> it's not entirely wrong, but it's pretty harsh. I mean, like I haven't actually heard any like negatives so far in the review. Mm-hmm. He's he's just he's just been using descriptors. Yes. So at this point, I don't really think that this guy is trashing it so to speak. And to be fair, I I did cut it off for uh, brevity, but he does go on to say, like, if that's your thing, you're going to love this. (laughs) (laughs) He's putting some caveats on it, but he's not saying don't listen to it. 
That's pretty good. Like, I think there's people who can like this, for sure. Uh, we'll get into it, but uh, it, it might not be me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like we'll, we'll discuss it, but I do think there is a place for, for music like this, and I get the context in which it would be effective. Mm-hmm. So at this point, Deer Hunter is four people, primarily uh, Bradford Cox uh, on guitar and vocals. He is a very uh, outspoken uh, front man. He is an incredibly talkative person, but an incredibly uh, intelligent person, I would say. He holds your attention very easily because he very often has interesting things to say. In terms of his role within the band from a music standpoint, he draws a lot of focus, <laughs> I think is the best way to say it. He very often appears in costumes, and he very often, during instrumental sections, will go off on kind of stage antics to keep people engaged. A quote that I think really summarizes his approach to this is he said, I don't like the idea of going around on stage in just jeans and a t-shirt. It feels anticlimactic. And I think that's a great way uh, of looking at live music. Yeah, and seeing like a little bit of what uh, you've shown me already, there is there is definitely an arc to the live performances, and I think we'll get into that. Absolutely. Additionally, I would say, and we'll talk about this a lot, but I think Bradford Cox is essentially a noise artist put in the context of a traditional rock band. Yeah. Um, would you say if there was a, a songwriter? Would he be the songwriter? Would he be writing the songs? <laughs> Primarily, yes. For most of their run, their runtime, he is kind of the de facto leader, as much as he pretends like he's not. Mm -hmm. And he is the primary songwriter. Uh, later on, there will be some shared songwriting duties, but especially this album is is mostly his songwriting. And I think his approach to songwriting is very interesting. He says that, like in his early formative musical years, he would experiment with cassette tape players. Yeah, And he would just record uh, layer upon layer of like guitars, voice, drums, in just kind of a stream of consciousness. And he, he often references intentionally not planning out his lyrics as he goes to do a vocal take and as he's songwriting. And he just loves adding more and more elements until uh, he says it starts to feel crowded. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> I get that. Yeah. That is definitely happening on this album. But I think that's an interesting approach. I think he, he likes to have lots going on and have it kind of feel all-encompassing and engrossing, which is interesting. Um, on to my man and co-founding member of the band, Moses Archuleta. He's credited as playing drums and also providing uh, electronics. And he was actually originally the band's keyboardist yeah. uh, until their drummer quit. And then he had to move over to the drums <laughs> to help support the band. But I think his role of electronics, while it, like most of the time it's not officially stated being like, oh, he played this synthesizer or he added tape loops to this particular song. Yeah. I think that role really is like creative director of the band, if that makes sense. Okay. He's credited a lot as being the one who took kind of Bradford's like noisy garage rock kind of songs and brought in that ambient and electronic influence to try and make them a bit more atmospheric and a bit more hypnotic. Yeah. And so, like, when you say electronics, you usually just mean, like, sort of anything that is outside of the realms of drums, outside of guitar, bass, if there's, like, some added effects onto songs, or if there's, like, some, like, added loops or some added things, like... It's not necessarily Moses that's doing it, but it's it's sort of being planned because like the album uh, or like the songs at least that you're listening to are are sort of like planned in post yes. as far as like what I've I've heard. I don't exactly know like what is going on 
uh, yet. Uh, I'll, I'll, <laughs> when we come to that, I'll, I'll ask those questions. But like, it does it does seem like there's things that are done during recording, and then the things that are done after recording. So if like if you're going to say like there's there's a there's a director or there's an editor. Yes, Moses would be the editor. I think that's a great way of putting it. And I think he has a really good uh, quote that I, I want to share because I feel like it applies to uh, a lot of people making making art, making music, and some maybe people who are making a podcast for the very first time. Hey. He says, I try to worry about making something that's more of a document than a product. I think people get too caught up in trying to make the perfect song or album, and they just spend forever waiting for the perfect opportunity to come along. What I'm trying to say is that it's a lot more valuable to be willing to take risks on your own and put yourself out there early on. Don't be so overly precious about your art that it ends up being to your detriment. And I feel like that's exactly what they're doing on this album. Maybe just like cut out that last part and put it on a uh, sort of just like a poster with a little cat hanging from a tree and just like, yeah, just get something (laughs) to motivate you. Hang in there and don't be overly precious about your art. Hell yeah. Over to my man, Josh Farver uh, on bass. He was brought in for this album as a replacement when their original bassist, uh, Justin Bosworth, died in a skateboarding accident before the album could be recorded. That's messed up. It's messed up. and it's de- So this album is actually dedicated to him in the liner notes. Oh, cool. Yeah. The, three, <laughs> the 300 copies of it. <laughs> right, yeah. They, they, you know, that's their friend, right? So mm-hmm. I, I understand. Yeah, no, no, it's sweet. It's just like crazy since there's just like 300, 300 copies of this with that liner note in it. Yes, and I would say already we're off to an interesting start with this band. I feel like in the way, same way that Spinal Tap goes through drummers through weird circumstances, yeah. I feel like this band goes through members in weird circumstances. And, you know, there's, there's not a band that I think that experiences more just bizarre tragedies along the way than uh, Deer Hunter. So I think this is, you know, they start off completely on brand. I would say Josh uh, is a very distinctive bassist. He's not necessarily like a lead bassist, like someone like Peter Hook from uh, Joy Division or New Order, where he's like up the neck playing melodies, essentially. But he often like creates the main riff of uh, earlier songs in their catalog. Yeah, I, like I get that. Like, he's providing the part that's that's kind of catchy and that's the kind of focal point of the song. Mm-hmm. As well as, I think, his bass sound is very interesting. It's very, like, crunchy and kind of mid-focused, which normally bass is relied on to be, like, the low end and kind of provide, like, a supportive structure for the rest of the instruments yeah he's kind of like really poking out of the mix a lot of times and i mean it's it's to their benefit because i think he's adding great parts but it's an interesting approach i think yeah i definitely get that uh as well like i'd say like as far as this like album goes like the the sound profile which we'll get into like the bass and drums seem to seem to lead a lot of the yes and then lastly we have colin me who plays guitar on this album I would like to do as much credit as possible to Colin, but it is very difficult to find any information on him. He is with the band for this album and the next one, and after that leaves. And because it's so early on in the band's time, there isn't a lot of press that really talks about Colin specifically, or there's not a lot of interviews with Colin specifically. Mm -hmm. So I can't really uh, speak too much about to what kind of he provides or what his kind of like creative process is like. I can say that part of the reason that he ends up leaving later on is that he kind of feels like 
the uh, the showman that is Bradford Cox kind of starts to overshadow the band's music a little bit. Um, and because Bradford is such like an outspoken and interesting person to interview, he feels like they just kind of become a quote machine. Yeah. Uh, and people are focusing on, oh, Bradford said this, Bradford said that. And they're not really like coming to, for the music anymore. They're coming to be like, oh, what's this controversial Deer Hunter band that I keep seeing, you know, on Pitchfork or on blogs. Okay. So I think he's a very principled person, but he doesn't last particularly long. Uh, yeah. And like, it does seem at least in the band makeup that he's a rhythm guitarist or, or like he's a, he's a, he's a backup guitarist. That's right. Yeah, I would say rhythm guitarist for sure. Whereas, like, like there's there's a lot of guitar parts that seem to be like either either a lead guitar part, and um, I'd think for the most part, uh, if there's some sort of melody or if there's some sort of main riff, that's being played by Bradford, right? That would be right. Yes, uh, Bradford is is like a a very interesting guitarist in that he floats around between main vocal duties and uh, very often playing prominent lead guitar parts. Mm-hmm. Very Stephen Malcolmus in that way, where he's like, "Hey, I'm the front man, and also I'm gonna play the solos." Yeah, which I think is always a very interesting band dynamic. But anyways, cool. Should I mention where the name comes from? Yeah, I I, I asked at the beginning, like. So, like, Deer Hunter, that's that's fairly interesting. Right. So, again, on, on brand for this band of having weird stories, the name Deer Hunter comes from their original drummer, uh, whose name is Dan Walton. Uh, he never appears on a release. He's very, very early on. And he said it was chosen not to be an allusion to the film The Deer Hunter uh, with Robert De Niro, but <laughs> just something that sounded cool. And Bradford has said originally when they were starting the project, he didn't really care what the name was going to be. Mm-hmm. So he just went with it and it just kind of like stuck as a tag, even though uh, Dan left. Yeah. Uh, they just continued to be known as Deer Hunter and they just ended up being stuck with it. And the funny part is Bradford said he hates the name now because it has no meaning to them whatsoever. <laughs> it's just it's just the name they have. That seems to be that seems to be a common thing. It's like uh, we, we hate the name of our band. We hate our first album. This this band seems to like dislike a lot of its a lot of its early ideas yes it's uh it's an interesting theme that keeps coming up yeah for sure i think yeah like i think you said uh when we were talking the other day that they're very self-conscious super self-conscious yeah uh, and i think that's interesting and uh you know maybe they wouldn't like the fact that someone is doing a, an incredible deep dive into this uh early album but anyways i think it's interesting who knows maybe yeah they can get in angry comments We'll right, I, I would be, I would be honored to be uh, <laughs> completely roasted by Bradford Cox. Excellent. I would feel very happy about that. I'm sure he could just eviscerate me. So, do you want to talk about um, what this first album's about? Okay. Okay. So, this album, the title, as legend has it, comes from a real quote that was yelled by a heckler at one of their early shows. Mm-hmm. And I think that really sets the tone for what this album is going for. Um, Bradford has called it a display of adolescent rage, and it really kind of centers on themes of frustration and discomfort with one's surroundings. Yeah, adolescent rage is one type of rage that you definitely hear. You hear several different types of rage as well. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of rage going on in, in the title, in the album art, in everything. Yes. 
I want to drop in uh, just two quotes from Bradford on like looking back on this album, and then I want to talk about the album art because we've alluded to it a couple times. Mm-hmm. And I want to get your your first impressions as someone who I just you know sent, hey, check out this album, and then all yeah. of a sudden you're like, okay, this is what we're doing. <laughs> so um, there was a quote. Uh, there was sorry, there was an article by uh, Noisy, which is uh, under the Vice brand, mm-hmm. and they did a long-form interview with Bradford where they asked him to rank all of Deer Hunter's albums, which is very interesting, and I'll probably acknowledge it a few times while we go through this. Yeah. But when talking about this album, he said, I don't generally acknowledge it. We didn't know what we were doing. It wasn't the fault of the engineer or any of the musicians. We didn't have the time that we've had since to experiment in the studio. And he says... When I listen to that album, if I just had an extra week to think about things, it might be in a different position on this list. Or I might acknowledge it as something I've done. (laughs) At this point, I consider it to be a student film. You don't rank a great filmmaker's thesis film at school as among their filmography. Which I think is fair. I think, you know, this is more of a proof of concept than it is their actual first album. Yeah, I I guess that makes sense. But, like, sometimes you do. Sometimes you uh, you do at least uh, dive into the the art that they make when they're coming up. Yeah, and I think that's interesting. I think it's more interesting to talk about things that have imperfections than just you know only ever look at things that are ten out of ten masterpieces uh, and just be like, isn't it so great? Isn't it so brilliant? I don't think that makes for a very interesting discussion. I think going into an album like this that has those rough spots and has stuff that we can pick apart makes for a way more interesting discussion. Certainly gives me a lot to talk about as my first introduction <laughs> into the into the band. Yes. Okay, so then speaking of your thoughts on things, what were your very first thoughts when I sent you this? Yeah, so I get, I get a link. I get a, a YouTube link because it's not on Spotify. And I click on this link. I can see in the in the link description, I, I see the full name of the album. So immediately I'm just like, okay, cool. Um, and then, <laughs> This is aggressive. <laughs> very aggressive. And like, I can even just talk about the album title right now because I didn't know that story, uh, that, that anecdote going into it. So when I, when I click on, or when I, when I see that title, I would think that it is referring to me, the listener, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, so like very aggressive, probably like from my perspective, probably not the best title. Right. Because, <laughs> because, uh, the way that you're telling me now, it seems like an inside joke, right? I think it's like they're taking back the term, right? Absolutely. It's, it's a story that only they know and like their diehard fans know and like people that have been covering it if they've, if they've heard Bradford talk about it, but if they haven't. They haven't heard anybody talk about it. It just seems like it. It just seems like a face value title saying "Turn it up," expletive. Yes, <laughs> and it's like, uh, uh, I guess okay, <laughs> sort of, sort of thing. Yeah. Which, which is, in my opinion, like now, now that I'm hearing that anecdote, it gets a little bit better. Mm-hmm. But before that, I would have said that the, the title didn't really do its its job very well, just because like I would think that this title would offend more people than it's trying to. I think this band, uh, this album is trying to like turn off uh, a certain type of listener. Yes, but uh, I would say that the title goes a little bit too far in that regard, it's because. It's it's like an it's an inside joke like, uh, and uh, if you have 
if you're just like walking up to someone uh, or uh, in a conversation is just like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to murder your dog, Stephanie. No, no, that's no, (laughs) not actually. That's just an inside joke. That's something me and my friends say. It's not, I'm not, I'm not actually going to murder your dog. Oh, your name is Stephanie. Oh, oops. I'm sorry. It's just an inside joke. Right. Well, I look forward to your debut album called I'm Gonna Murder Your Dog, Stephanie. Uh, That sounds great. Uh, Yeah. Uh, And then I click on the link and I get the album art. And I would say, like, if you're trying to offend the right amount of people or like the right type of listener, this album art is rad. This album (laughs) art is so good. Uh, It's pretty cool, actually. Like, it's it's aggressive, but it, it looks cool. It is like... So, like, the thing about it is, like, I'll do a, a brief description of it, because, like, it's it's entirely in negative. So, like, it's black and white and negative. It's got a negative filter on it. So the blacks are whites and the whites are blacks sort of thing. Yeah. And um, the way it's composed makes you want to start at the top. So you look at the, you look at the top, you look at, uh, there's two figures that have been, like, symmetrically... Like, mirrored? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, they're mirrored. There's two. There's two people in scare quotes because they have uh, deer heads for heads. Yeah, which is uh, pretty startling. You you take a look at that, and then they're they're sort of like you see them like sticking something to each other's neck, which at first looks like a knife, but then you see um, a flag that comes out of it over the shoulder, which looks like I think the Texas flag. It's got the it's got the two bars on each side, and then it's got the Lone Star. Yeah, that's, that's what made me think of it, right? Yeah. Um. So like it, it's got the one the one star in the middle. Yeah. Uh. Also, uh, I guess we'll talk about it now. These two figures are completely naked. Oh yes. Uh. Because like as as your eyesight sort of drops, you get you get the view, which is like really camouflaged because of the black and white on negatives so you don't even see it it feels like an optical illusion and then it's just like oh 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 that's a dick yeah oh yeah there's just a i I have my notes just a big old appendage right there um so like this album art does offensive correctly yeah this album art does it so well because like this is something that like your Christian parents will just like burn and throw in the trash. Like this is, <laughs> this is like really like something that you can you can piss off your parents with. Yes, I think yeah that that element of like making something to intentionally piss off a certain audience so that another audience will then love it. Right. I think that's exactly the approach that's going on here. Yeah. So like when you're talking about tone. Very violent, very aggressive, very just like in your face, angry punk sort of vibe. This is this is definitely this definitely does it better for me than I would say the album title does it. Yeah. As as a first impression, uh, I I get that from the album are much better than the title. Right. And then we can get into the first song. Yes. Because like. I think the first song also kind of just like plays upon these these first impressions. Uh, so why don't we go ahead and just like get into that? Let's do it. Trent and Dave, listen to the song. Okay, so we have just listened to the opening track, N Animals. Dave, what are your <laughs> what are your first thoughts? <laughs> um, 
So uh, if if you want to like bring your attention back to the album art, mm-hmm. I think uh, I, I think this is something that you could very easily compare. Uh, just just thinking about like first impressions, yeah. Because like this is this is also the first thing I heard, uh, <laughs> which was like scrambling sounds, a little bit of making out sessions with the microphone. That's, yep. that's very nice. Mm-hmm. You start, you start with a little bit of just like, uh, just like open tongue kissing on the microphone. Well, pretty much. That's what that sounds like. <laughs> and, and then you get a chord. Yes. Uh, or at least, um, you could call it a chord. It is a chord. It is a chord, and here's here's what I can make out about it. Okay. Uh, and and I wrote this down. The notes I think, just from listening, are uh, G, A sharp, B, D sharp, and E. Um, and there's there's a, there's a bunch of like accidentals that I've thrown in there that don't really make sense. You're like, why are you using A sharp and D sharp? Well, because like they're Okay, there's there's a few ways that you could interpret this chord. Okay. If you wanted to. You could in, you could interpret it as a a D flat major 7 add the sharp fifth and also add the flat second. Okay. Second version, of course. <laughs> of course. You could also view it as an E minor major 7 augmented fifth second inversion, of course. Of course, uh, all of all of these are close harmony well, uh, as well. Like they're all like really close to each other. Yep. Another way that you could look at this is probably a E diminished uh, major seven, adding the fifth. So like E diminished normally has a diminished five, but you also just add the five as well. Okay. Close harmony, second inversion, or uh, and what I think this is trying to be is uh, the five shittiest notes you can find on a fretboard. <laughs> The the sonic equivalent of like what a cat looks like when it's throwing up. You yeah, know that? yeah, yeah, I think so. Or like a like a ready made dinner, like a fettuccine Alfredo that's got like thrown behind the dishwasher, <laughs> and, or thrown thrown behind the laundry machine and has just been left there for three weeks, and now it's just like scrawling out of yeah. the packaging out of the cellophane. Um, yeah. This this cord, I feel is is not a chord it, it is it is meant to just the same way that the album art it's meant to just be aggressive be in your face be very abrasive yes um and they hang on that first chord for so, so long, long. <laughs> and it's not like and it's not like uh like they they hang on that chord and then the other guitarist plays the same chord in yep. like a different part of the fre- uh, in in the in a different part of the like I don't I don't even know what it, this would look like or feel like to play on a guitar but I just imagine like you got your entire hand just sprawled out over it yeah, you basically just mangle your hands in a weird shape, I'm pretty sure, and just go for it. I would, I'd be curious to know whether or not they even know what that chord is called. I imagine they just found it by trying to make something intentionally abrasive, and then they're like, yeah. that's the one. Deer Hunter minor major seven. Yeah, exactly. Add five, add two, add three, add a yes. sharp fifth. Right. Yeah. Second uh. version, close harmony. <laughs> the point is, yeah, it doesn't matter. Like, even when the bass... And it starts to lay the groundwork. They come back in with that same chord. Yes. So like, technically, the song is in in G minor, but really it's not. Right. It does seem very atonal. Yes. 
so like you have the two guitars they seem to be just like a little bit out of tune from each other mm-hmm. they have like a little bit of a, a a profile that makes them out of tune and they're playing the same chord which like sounds even worse <laughs> when they're just playing it together and then like they'll they'll start actually like strumming like g minor chords and that kind of thing when uh when the bass and drums start going but like uh and that that goes on for a while so like it makes me think of the album cover. It meant, it's meant to turn the people that you don't necessarily want listening to this uh, album to stop listening to this album sort of thing. Totally, like you, yes. You, you, want, you want people who are going to be mad at this to be mad and be really mad yes. sort of thing. It's a mess. Yes. And it's cool. Yeah, it's incredibly messy. And to me, uh, right away, what it tells me is I'm very confident this whole album was recorded live off the floor. I don't know if it was all like right back to back, like they just left the tape running Mm -hmm. and they played all these songs back to back. But for sure, they're all just playing together in a room. Like the way that it kind of chaotically starts up, the way that you can hear uh, there's like someone on the talk back. Uh, right. very early on saying like, hey, you guys can go. <laughs> <laughs> is, I, I can't make out exactly what they're saying, but it sounds something like, you guys are good. You can you can start now. Uh, yeah. As is they're that, just hanging that on that cord. after the microphone makeout session? Uh, I think that's after. I think they're, they're literally making noise. I think they're just like, you know, hanging, like we said, on that one chord. And mm-hmm. yeah, Bradford's uh, becoming intimate with the microphone. And... Uh, <laughs> And then he's just like, you, you know, you guys could start, right? They're like, yeah, this is part of it. <laughs> I think that rules. Um, the other thing I think is, I know for a fact this was recorded quite quickly. Yeah. And I think that definitely shows in the drums. And uh, I am very particular about drum recordings. Mm-hmm. And to me, especially this first track, I think it gets better. But this first dr- uh, track, the drums have a ton of room sound in them. Yeah. yeah. Um and like really splashy. Yeah. Like, like there's a lot of presence to the symbols and to mm-hmm. like uh like you hear like basically what the what the review said, like you hear those. It it almost seems like the bass and the drums are leading it for sure. They are, yeah. Um and they they cover up a lot of the vocals, which do start to come in. The the vocals and uh, the guitars that are that are all just like for the entire song. Uh, there's a rhythm guitar that's that's playing off of the bass, but then there's a lead guitar that's just playing those five notes that I've said over yep. and over again in random orders. And I believe that's Bradford. I am. I have no video evidence to prove it, but I'm almost 100 percent sure that's Bradford. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of sort of like atonal stuff that Bradford is doing that sort of gets, I I wouldn't say hidden, but it it sort of comes underneath the drums and the bass. And Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, uh, there's, I I want to say a word. There's, there's an avant-garde energy to basically the vocals and what Bradford is doing. Like what, what Bradford is doing is essentially just trying to push a a boundary Mm-hmm. Uh, because the rhythm guitar, bass, and the drums, they sort of set up a structure, and then Bradford is sort of just trying to break that structure in different ways. So the vocals, uh, they're, they're A, they're not in tune with the rest of the song, and B, they're not in tune with each other, because no. <laughs> it seems like 
uh, it seems like there are, is is a little bit more than like uh, than just like one track or more tracks, and we'll get get into that a little bit more. But like, yeah, the the idea is that like it doesn't really matter what the tune is or like what the tone is. Uh, it's it's just to get a certain ma- amount of people like saying that this is bad, so that they can go back and say no, actually these are these are all in tune because fuck you, that's why. Right, sort of exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. it's just like uh, this is what we chose, and it is a choice. Like uh, yeah. I w- I would say without a doubt that Bradford didn't necessarily choose those five notes, but he sounded notes that would intentionally sound dissonant yes. and off. Yeah, uh, and so like, because because everyone else right now is is doing a thing, is doing a jam, uh, uh, and Bradford is sort of just like pushing boundaries and just like going outside of that jam. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, he, what he's doing is uh, messy and noisy, but it's done with purpose. Mm-hmm. Would you know what they are saying? So I did look up the lyrics, which as we go into this, we'll find the lyrics are very spotty because they're mm-hmm. very hard to make out. Uh-huh. Uh, and in some cases, I think the lyrics that are posted online are incorrect. And in some places they are incomplete. So I'm going to give the best kind of take that I can. I'll be honest with this first one. I have more to say on later ones. This one, I have no idea what's going on in this song. I don't yeah. know what N animals are. I originally was like, North animals, new <laughs> animals. I don't particularly know. And the mm-hmm. main kind of, I think a lot of these songs have like a main uh, refrain or like chanted mantra chorus kind of thing. And that becomes like the thesis of each individual song. I heard, uh, I heard A, B, C, D, we've got no history. Correct. That's the main one. It's A, B, C, D, we've got no history. And then later it's A, B, C, D, we've got no chemistry. Ah. And I don't really know what that means. Early on, he talks about, I was born of concrete, born out of chemistry. It comes out of chaos, blooms in infinity. infinity. New animals born of concrete, born out of chemistry. New animals, concrete, born into circuitry. Okay. So that's like his intro being like, hey, here's what's going on in this song. Yeah. I I don't know what it, it's supposed to mean, I guess, other than like, hey, we're like the new animals. And this is our weird sound. So this really makes me think of the album art. Yep. Really makes me think of the album art. So like, and like, we are the new animals. This is an introduction to the band or this is an introduction to like everything. So like, this is the original sort of like pitch to the listener. Right. And, (laughs) and very interesting pitch indeed. Right. Uh, it's it's very Devo-esque where you start off with like, we are not men, we are Devo. You're like, we are not, you know, men, we are, we are men, deer we hunter. Are deer, deer men. We yes, are, exactly. Deer men, are, new animals. Yeah, new animals. Yeah. As as far as like what the what the job of this song is, I think, it, I think it's plainly clear it's just meant to feed off the album art, feed off the title, sort of like piss off like a certain amount of people and like really excite a uh, a certain other amount of people who want to piss those people yes. off. Yes, yeah, I think that's probably right. This is aggressive and loud, and sort of like has that sort of like top down approach where you, where you look at something and you're like, oh, well, that's interesting. Oh, well, that's 
weird. Oh, yeah. oh my God. Oh my God. Is that a dick? That's a dick. Sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that's pretty fair. I think that that's probably like a good summary of what's going on here. Mm-hmm. All right. Do you want to get into Adorno? Let's fire it up. Trent and Dave, listen to the song. Okay. So we just listened to Adorno. Correct. I kind of like this one. I'm going to be honest. This makes like this, this even puts it uh, harder into my mind that the first song was a hazing ritual sort of thing. (laughs) It makes me feel like, okay, now, like we've gotten like the boring people out of the room. Yeah. Now we can actually like start to like get into sort of like what this band is, what it's about. Like it's a huge contrast, but also it's not because it's in the same key. It's in the same chord. Interesting. And so like, it makes me think like, yeah, that last song was the first song, but this song is actually the first song. I agree. Sort of just like that was sort of like a first impressions to, to like get basically just get the boring people out of the room. Right. Yeah. I think that's a great way of putting it. And like it's it's immediately more organized. Mm-hmm. The bass comes in like they actually like start to build. They do a build where like they they start with a foundation, actually start with a foundation, and they build off it. Go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say, can we just take a second? You know, there's gonna be large parts of this podcast where I just fanboy uh, about Josh's <laughs> bass playing, but like that like just dark sleazy disco groove going on between mm-hmm. him and Moses is yeah. so good, and like that is the song for me. I'm just I'm just grooving along to that the entire time, and yeah, I love that. Um, like that's kind of like a dance punk influence kind of thing. Yeah, where you've got that like fun, upbeat, like danceability, but at the same time you're like, we're gonna make it noisy and grimy, and then it's kind of got that like edge and danger to it, and it's kind of fun. I really like it. Yeah, and like that is the groove that gets put down for like most of the songs. So like the groove actually yeah. stays pretty static. It yeah. doesn't. It doesn't necessarily change. The most dynamic range, like the most dynamic movement that happens, is with the vocals. Yes. So I think. I think this might be a good time to just like dive into what's going on with these vocals a little bit. Okay. Just because like I've listened to it a few times and I've noticed that there has to be at least two tracks. Yes, there's all, there's very clearly two tracks where I think Bradford has gone in and just double tracked his voice, mm-hmm. but it's very loosely double tracked, which is interesting. And I don't even know like what or how they were double tracked, whether or not like there's one that was recorded first and one that was recorded afterwards yeah. with that reference, because yep. if they're using that as a reference, man, it's so hard to be that out of tune. Like it's, it's so hard to be like that dissonant and atonal with yourself. If you're hearing a reference, it yeah. makes me think like he might've just like recorded one take recorded another take and then put them together. Could be that. That's a that's a good theory. I will say that is definitely done intentionally. One mm-hmm. of the bands that Bradford states as an influence for this album is a band called The Fall. Okay. And that kind of vocal style is all over their work. It is two separate double-tracked vocals that yeah. are a little bit out of sync with each other all the time. So I think that was done very much on purpose. I don't think it could be overdub. Like, yeah. That's the only thing. And... Because that was going on, I decided to do a little experiment. Okay. I decided to um, just, uh, and, and you can do this if you have an audio interface, so you can just listen to the left and right separately. 
Ah, interesting. So there, there are two tracks and there are two vocal tracks and they are completely panned, 100% panned. Yeah. Hard left, um, hard right. Yeah. Hard left, hard right. There's the right track has the primary or what I would call the primary vocals. They seem to be more present. Okay. They seem to be a little bit louder. Um, and that's, that's where you get a lot of the um, main lyrics, main vocals, that kind of thing. Like the other track will also back it up. Sometimes there's a call and response. Yeah. So like, uh, I, I think it, I think it's like tails crossed. So yes, like one of them will that. say one of them will say one thing. Sometimes the other one will say the other thing. Sometimes they'll line up. It's just like whatever they feel like, sort of thing. <laughs> which is another reason why I don't think that they were recorded like they're they're overdubs. They're not referencing each other. They're just like right. doing whatever they want. But like yeah. sometimes it just lines up that it's a call and response, which is crazy. Yeah. It, it just <laughs> so like it just lines up in like a really interesting way uh, spontaneously. Right. Because it feels to me like these aren't referencing each other. So when and so let's go back to the left track. The left track has the secondary vocals, mm-hmm. has the bass, uh, lead guitar, drums, I think are very centered. Yeah. So the vocals on the left track have a lot of effects on them. So like there's parts where like the left track will have like, I don't know, like a super heavy delay and echo just put onto it. Yeah. And then the right track will be a lot more present. And that's (laughs) really cool because like when the lyrics come in and he says, it feels like I'm living in two places at once. Yeah. So that's that's some multi-level narratives right there. Yes. That's that's some cool shit. I've heard that called text painting before, where the text of the lyrics is being reflected in the music. It is it is an interesting idea. Like the main hook of the lyrics are uh am I sleeping on the floor or am I nailed to the cross? And when you have yes. two different uh vocal tracks with two different tonal qualities saying that in like completely spontaneous ways to each other. Yeah. That's a cool idea. Yeah, that's that's a really cool idea. That's that that sort of like amplifies a good idea and makes it even better. Okay, can I give you some of my theories on that tie into that? Uh, Because I did some research because I was like, what does Adorno mean? (laughs) And so I literally just popped the word Adorno into Google. And I think I cracked the case on what the song is about. All right. So there is a man named Theodore W. Adorno, who lived Mm -hmm. from uh, 1903 to 1969. He was a German philosopher, sociologist, psychologist, musicologist, and composer known for his critical theory of society. Which is where uh, then I'm, I'm starting to pick up where this is going. Uh, most notably, he was critical of jazz and popular music, <laughs> viewing it as part of the culture industry that contributes to the sustainability of capitalism by making it aesthetically pleasing and agreeable. Oh, man. Jazz was popular once. Yeah, I know. Can you imagine? <laughs> Can you imagine looking at jazz and be like, oh, man, this this popular music this these kids are into. Music. I know. <laughs> um, and so to me, I think this this totally plays into uh, what Bradford's repeating, where he's saying, like you said, the am I sleeping on the floor or am I nailed to the cross bit? I think he's talking about, you know, do you become like a principled, like starving artist or do you like burden yourself with like the limitations of becoming, you know, aesthetically pleasing and agreeable? Uh, oh, come on. Come on, Bradford. Why not both? 
Why I know. Not I mean, and yeah, we'll get there for sure. Uh, but I, I feel like that's what's going on. And I think bec- uh, I think you outlined this really well. I think that's what's going on with the vocals too, is there's one that's pleasant and agreeable and there's one that's kind of out there and wild and has, has effects on it and stuff. Mm-hmm. I think that's exactly what's happening. And it's, it's a really cool idea. I like, uh, I like this song a lot. Yeah. Um, and I think like it would be like so much better if like this was the track that had those kind of ideas on it. Mm-hmm. But that sort of vocal style goes throughout the entire album. Yes. It goes throughout every single song. And so I think this is a this is a good time for us to jump into tech school. Tech school, let's go. Trent and Dave listen to the song. All right. Tech school, what do we think? Uh drop out. <laughs> I, I, I think wanna, I think that was the main message of the song. I might have missed that. Yeah. I I don't want to uh, go to tech school. I'm so sick of tech school. Yeah. Can I just start by saying uh, that is the best Devo guitar ripoff riff I've ever heard. I hear that every time and I'm like, that is the the Devo just like janky, kind of like dorky funk mm-hmm. kind of thing. Uh, and I love it. I think it's great. It's a it's a really good groove. And like once again, it's sort of it's sort of just like a, a groove that they set up in the background while Bradford just goes off on, yeah. on vocals. It's building even like farther into that into that space where like sort of sort of like that that weird call and response that's going on like that spontaneous call and response because you hear it in the vocals being done a lot where like the, uh, he'll say like tech school I'm so sick of tech school so sick of tech school it goes back and forth it's it's really like spontaneous the way the way that it's done. Yeah. So yeah, I think I wanna. I think I wanna talk a little bit more about avant-garde music. Okay. Because me. because there is there is a section where like everyone kind of like gets in on the experimentation. Yes. Around the middle of the song, where the vocals are sort of like layering that section of like tech school dropout, and the entire band yes. just like goes into blitzkrieg bop chord changes. Yes, I have notes on that, yeah. <laughs> and, like, a completely new beat, a completely new uh, drum uh, drum beat, like, key change, like, everything yeah. sort of just, like, breaks. So, like, you have this cool setup, this cool, like, Devo setup, um, and then sort of, like, you break into a new song for, like, I don't know, 8, 12 bars. Yeah. And that is, that is the ideas behind, like, pushing boundaries or just like moving out of a conventional space. The way that avant-garde works is it's not just like playing whatever you feel like. It's free exp- experimentation. It's it's searching for ideas. So the idea like that a lot of musicians might do where they sit down at the piano and they just play, they just noodle and they just like play stuff and they try to find interesting ideas. Yeah. Um, uh, that kind of thing. With avant-garde music, it's much more of a collective search for new ideas where they're they're experimenting as they play it's not it's not structured they're not going to it with everything solved right okay not everything is lined up or uh sort of nailed down as like we got to play this note here we got to play this note here no bradford is doing whatever he wants on vocals so why don't we do whatever we want in the rhythm section let's play blitz where he bought for eight bars why not right (laughs) like yeah 
uh, how does that work? How does that, how does that uh, add to the song? And then Bradford just starts screaming on the microphone yes. in two tracks with layered, with layered echoes. And it's like, this is actual avant-garde rock. Like this is yeah. avant-garde music. I would agree with that. And I think to me, those, those bursts of, like you said, the Blitz, Blitzkrieg bop progression to mm. me, I think that's like a giant F you again, uh, <laughs> to be like, we could do this. We could, we yeah. could go like to me, um, like you could do the, you could do that. Like listener, dear listener, you could yeah. play whatever you want, wherever you want. As long as you're like trying to make something good or like not even like who cares. Yeah. I was going to say, to me, I think it's more like a, yeah, we could just, you know, sound like an intentionally really basic, like fundamental version of classic rock. Like to me that like, especially the piano that comes in, that's just doing oh, eighth yeah. notes. Oh yeah. Sounds like, like Little Richard or something out of like a fifties rock song mm-hmm. kind of thing. And I think they're kind of intentionally taking that trope and being like, man, we're sick of tech school. We're sick of doing things like the standard traditional way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we want to be more free from that. But also, like, we're just going to stick it in there and just yell over top of, like, a very traditional thing just to be like, we're so, so past this that we could just co-opt it in the middle of our song and then Mm -hmm. abandon it. Like, uh, I think that's kind of cool. Maybe a lot of energy for avant-garde jazz comes from the same place. Yes. Not necessarily a bad thing to play the standards, but maybe you get sick of them. Right. And maybe you want to push out just a little bit. Um, Yes. So... Like I, I saw Ornette Coleman live at Massey Hall. Okay. And there was or- Ornette Coleman is a is a alto sax player, very good avant garde musician. And there was a song where they played box prelude in C, box prelude in C, I think. You may be out of my depth. But yeah, the the double bass player starts playing on it. It's it's a very good riff. Uh, the drum player plays on that as well, and they sort of break into that for about. Uh, a good a good portion of the song and then ornette starts playing riffs way outside of key way outside of tune that kind of thing just like trying to push boundaries they're trying to experiment on a structure that is like this this very famous set of chord changes right okay uh so that that i think is like a lot of what's going on here as well like they have this uh, a very famous structure that they just switch to on a t it's like oh yeah. i recognize that and then bradford's just screaming down yes. <laughs> screaming at you while it's going on and yeah. it that's it's very neat because like it's not necessarily meant to sound good or bad it's meant to make the audience participate that makes sense. That is what uh, a lot of ad- avant-garde is supposed to be doing, like in the sense of like where you're listening to music and you're just letting the music sort of like wash over you. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to kind of be a little bit more engaged in this kind of music. Yeah. And you, ha- and you have to figure out, do you like this? Do you not like this sort of thing? <laughs> right. That's cool. That makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah. You want to talk about pawns? Let's Let's go over to pawns. Trent and Dave, listen to the song. All right. So, so what are we thinking about pawns? I kind of like it. Interesting. Okay, I, what do you like about it? Well, I like that, like, there's there's a defined form. Like, this is the first song that has, like, a true, like, A section and B section, which is sick. At the beginning, like, there's there's very dissonant guitar strumming, and it's very, like, it holds so much tension in the first section. Yep. So like it's entirely unresolved. It, it cycles between like 
Like the song's in E minor, so it wants to resolve to E minor, but it never mm-hmm. does in this entire root section. It just cycles through, like, the bass cycles through different roots, and it stays completely unresolved. The, uh, like, the bass sort of, like, walks up from, from C, and then it walks chromatically to D for a bit. Yeah. And then, but it all the while, like, always wants to resolve to E minor, and it never does for, like, 16 bars or, like, even longer than that. But, like, there's, yeah. there's like, a whole stretch of time where it's just, like, holding in as much tension as possible yes uh, and it always wants to resolve and then it finally does there's a fu- mm-hmm. there's finally a song that has like real like tension and resolution and, right uh i do like resolving tension that's 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 what i like in music i like when songs like do a do a job to build up like a lot of tension and then like hit that punchline, hit that payoff sort of thing. So like this, yeah. this is a song that actually like has good forms. It has a defined like a section, B section, C section, and they all lead up to each other sort of thing. Yep. So this one is very much carried by the bass. Yes. So I think yeah, it is I a bass driven song. So I think this might be a good time to talk about the bassist. Yes. And like, what's what's going on here because i was i was wondering if you had any thoughts about what john is doing on bass his name is josh josh uh, and my bad. from this point <laughs> forward all bassists will be called josh because <laughs> they only uh, from this point forward in the band's history they only have bassists named josh oh okay. it's it's kind of funny so yeah i think i'll be honest this one is probably one of my least favorite songs on the album. So it's really hard for me to try and dig into what's going on here because I feel the the stuttering kind of um, pattern like in the groove there between the bass and the drums, Mm -hmm. to me, like that kind of like lurching really like makes me feel uncomfortable and I don't like it. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, it does. That's what I like about this song. I like that there's a mood. I like that there's payoff. I like that there's like a narrative dynamic to like, what what's going on it's like yeah things are tense things are rough like this there's uh and the bass is really good at playing off that because like yeah uh it starts with like that that lurching the dissonant guitars just strumming as much notes as they possibly can and mm. then sort of like that uh that lurching drum beat and then it resolves it like actually yeah. resolves into like a kind of like pretty cool groove for a bit and like this is the first song to actually actually do a really good conflict resolution mm, fair i feel bad because you you set me up so nicely to talk about my boy josh <laughs> and i this is the this is the song i probably have the least amount to say on we can because uh, i get oh no i can i can get explain why i fixate on I have no idea what this song is about. <laughs> um, from what I can tell in the chorus. Yeah. What are uh, the lyrics saying? <laughs> yeah. So what, from what I can tell and what I can research online, Bradford is repeating pawns like hands grow over and over again. <laughs> and I don't really know what that means in relation, especially from, on its own. I don't really know what that means. And then it, uh, when I relate it back to what's happening in the verses, it makes even less sense to me. When I reference the chorus lyrics to the verse lyrics, each of them make less sense to me after I combine the two. And I think that that is good because I do think that there is, uh, and, and I'll, I'll get to sort of like the broader mood of this album when we when we talk about the full album, but this is yeah. a horror song. Yes. 
And I have one theory that I can kind of stitch together that I think is what's going on here. Like, this is meant to be unsettling. This is meant to be, like, horrific. It's yes. not, like you said before, like, it's not it's not a pleasant uh, thing. It's, it's definitely uh, trying to create dissonance, trying to create conflict, trying to create tension. That yeah. sort of thing. To the best of, of my interpretation, I think what's going on here is... Bradford is kind of looking at some of the people that surround him that he just feels are uninteresting and kind of vapid and kind of surface level in their uh, the way they go about living their lives. And I think he likens them to a pond that's just like still water that's sitting there festering and not grow like not uh, yeah. not going anywhere or nice. anything. And so that he's like these ponds are just like slowly expanding, cool <laughs> like hands. I think that's what he's going for, where he's just like these like zombie people around me are everywhere. Yeah, I think is what he's trying to say. It's it's just like like a really cheesy low budget horror film with a bunch of like fake spiders and like they're and, <laughs> and like all it's all in black and white and that kind of thing like it's it, it's it's yeah. meant to like crawl down your spine sort of thing right uh, the creature so, from the black lagoon or the creature from tech school in this case hell yeah yeah all right uh let's let's move on then yeah let's hit it trent and dave listen to the song yeah, so that was uh, language forward slash violence. Yes. How do we feel about that? It's a different horror movie. Yes. <laughs> if uh, Pons was uh, Alfred Hitchcock, then this is definitely uh, uh, this is definitely uh, Texas Chainsaw Saw. Massacre. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just just graphic. Yeah. So this is like what I'm referring to as the noise factory. There's a bunch of songs that. Uh, on this album that sort of fit that mold. And this is definitely just the epitome of uh, being loud, being uh, being aggressive throughout the entire song. Yes, I agree. I feel like it's all tension. There's no release at all. It's just meant to kind of make your skin crawl a little bit. Yeah. Um, and that can definitely be exhausting. Um, yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, let's go back to like my first impressions. Like I've been listening to uh, five songs now and almost all of them have been very similar. Uh, mm -hmm. Yes. And uh, like, it's very chaotic, uh, very loud, just playgrounds for the vocalist to like uh, for, for Bradford just to like put all his effects into. This is definitely a song where like all of that is in play all at once. There's a lot of uh, fast uh, guitars, fast basses, like uh, fast drums, like there's a lot of energy going into the song, and there are no dynamics. Right. When I talk about that, and and I'll get into it in the next album or in in the next song, because like with the dynamics, there's there's a lot of things that you would uh, want to change, sort of thing. Like a uh, good dynamics is something that moves from yeah. from like low to high like if you if you always are loud if you always are aggressive if you're always playing lots of notes if you're always putting vocal layers into everything throughout the entire 2 2 minutes and 30 seconds of the song yeah that's actually got very little dynamics right. very little uh moving energy and it's uh it can be boring right yeah, dynamics is change, and there's not a lot of change happening. So this this song is a song that I actually I'm not too fond of. 
Yeah, I would agree with that. To me, the only like notable part that I think is interesting is during those like I think they're kind of like chorusy bits. Mm-hmm. Bradford is actually holding notes for the first time. He is like <laughs> singing notes, and I mean they're washed in either delay or reverb. It's kind of hard to tell which, but they're still atonal. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's still like in conflict with the with the bass. It's still conf- in conflict with the root. So it's like. Yeah, he's he has is actually singing like actual notes and like holding them and like there's a melody in the vocals, but the v- melody has actually like absolutely no reference to the bass or the guitars. Right. <laughs> so yes. like it is it is still uh, very similar to all of the five or like all of the other songs that came before it. So right. So yeah, when I got to this, uh, I was definitely uh, I was definitely tired, and I actually had to take a break when I when I listened <laughs> to this song the first time because it's just like, oh, okay, there's another one, sort yeah. of thing. There's another one, uh, and yeah, like uh, I'm I'm once again reminded of the album art, right? Sort of thing. Like this is this reminds me a lot of the first song. Yeah, I, I wrote down this feels like a sequel to An Animals. Nice. It's that same kind of thing. Yeah. The last thing I'll say on this song is I tried to look up lyrics to it to be like, <laughs> okay, but there must be there must be something that's going on here that like can give me some more context as to what this is supposed to be about or like what's informing the music behind it. And everywhere I look says this album this song is an instrumental. And that is that absolutely is, false because you can hear her vocals but at the same time it's almost like the world is telling me like this is just really like obscured vocals and like don't even worry about trying to figure it out <laughs> it's like you're, you're digging too deep into something that's just kind of noise for the sake of noise in this particular case and yeah. so i don't think it's it's worth trying to try to dissect that but i thought it was funny that even me like you know trying to claw for some kind of meaning behind it the world is telling me no just just stop don't yeah. worry about it no this is this is a slasher movie this is this yes. is just like straight up just like let's Let's do as much damage as we to- as we can. Um, yeah. But I think that that sort of like it doesn't achieve its goal because like there can be there can be good slasher movies. Like not like not everything just has to be violence and chaos all the time. Like you need you need low periods. You need you need something to balance it out. Right. This is just like three minutes of exploding heads, and after a while, you're like okay, I get it. <laughs> yeah. Which is. <laughs> A good contrast for our next song, which we will pick up in part two of our album cover for Deer Hunters, Turn It Up. See you then. <laughs> 